It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Superior Sports Talk with Reggie Wilson and Luke Inman, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota, and it starts now. What's happening, everybody? Reggie and Luke back in the lab with another episode of Superior Sports Talk presented by Locked On Sports Minnesota. What's going on, Reggie? What's up, man? I'm feeling good, even though the Timberwolves didn't didn't do it last night, man. Mm. Yeah, we'll we'll get into all of that for sure. Big time show lined up for you as Reggie and I break down game two of the NBA playoff series and just what went wrong for those T-Wolves dropping last night's game to Memphis, 124-96. Later on, we're going to get into some what does it mean. I'm putting Reggie on the hot seat, talking twins, Vikings, wild, plenty more. Plus, so excited for today's guest, one of my favorite draft experts, Jeff Risden from USA Today, helping us hone in on the Vikings draft weekend plans and a few of his favorite sleepers. It's all coming up on the Superior Sports Talk. All right, Reggie, you ready to dive right into this? Let's do it, man. Let's do it. The Wolves took one on the chin last night, getting blown out by the Memphis Grizzlies. 124-96, led by who else? John Morant, who was one rebound away from a triple-double in the Grizzlies bench that outscored the Wolves Mm 60-43. This was the Grizzlies team in performance I think a lot of people were waiting for as you saw the depth and the complete balance of this roster with seven players posting double-digit points, including including Jaron Jackson and Desmond Bain, who took advantage of Ja Morant's just freaky ability to create plays for his offense. Not surprisingly, the Grizzlies showcased one of the league's best offenses, but I think fans got a glimpse of just how good this defense is for Memphis, really for the first time in the series, ranking sixth in the league in overall defense. And it just felt like it was that suffocating defense that fueled the Grizzlies' offense on the other side of the court. Anthony Edwards led the way for the Wolves, 20 points. But after that, Minnesota had little to respond with Carl Anthony Towns scoring just 15 points. And D'Angelo Russell, who I had on a big game, my X-Factor during yesterday's show, I'll admit when I'm wrong, comes up short with just 11. (laughs) Ah, You're killing me, man. But Reggie, you watched it all start to finish. What was your biggest takeaways from game two if you're a Wolves fan? I mean, where's the panic meter turned up to right now? You know, you try not to panic too much after just one game, but Memphis totally flipped the script on the Wolves. It was so interesting because, you know, I talked about how Cat basically has Steven Adams in the paint like barbecue Mm. chicken. He only played three minutes last night. Three (sighs) minutes. What was that? What was, I was going to ask up, you about that. Yeah, what was they, that? They switched up how they did things. They totally flipped the script on the Wolves. And it's funny because that game last night reminded you why Memphis finished with the second best record in the league. Mm-hmm. 30 games above 500 because they can just suffocate you like that. It was so interesting. We talked about yesterday um, some of the keys to the game was the bench keeping up that performance. They didn't get much of anything from Jaden McDaniels, man. Mm-hmm. I saw him airballing threes. Mm-hmm. Like Malik Beasley. I think it was something like minus 24 when he was on the court. Like Not great. I not mean, great. no, no, not, <laughs> not, not what you're looking for. And it's just so funny. You talked about that bench, and a lot of people talked about how much depth that Memphis had coming off the bench, and they decided to implore uh, a couple of their bigs with Clark and Tillman 
And those dudes were eating inside. It was just so interesting. We saw like the cat that was similar to the one we saw in the play-in game where he was just committing a bunch of silly fouls and and really kind of complaining about a lot of things, didn't really get a chance to get into his game. And they took advantage, man. I saw a lot of clanked shots from yep. the Timberwolves last night. Like, they missed so many shots. Like, I think at one point I tweeted Anthony Edwards was on his way to having, like, a Kobe stat line where he shot, like, six for 35 or something like that with 20-something points. And it, it was just kind of kind of crazy to see. He was forcing things a little bit, wasn't really playing to his game. We saw D'Lo miss several shots that we usually see him making like they were just out of sync and it was funny looking at the box score if you get the same type of production from the big three from the wolves as you Mm. did in that last game in game one then you're talking about being able to keep up with this memphis team but man like they just they swarmed you they just like an avalanche from the grizzlies last night and i was just like look you got Jaron Jackson making threes. You got John Morant making threes. Like, look out, man. Like, that's how you just kind of know it's, it's not your night. And it just kind of snowballed and got away from the Wolves really quickly. I mean, we talked about it yesterday coming into this game. You just knew the Grizzlies were going to bring a different level of energy, set mm-hmm. the tone early, and, uh, you know, getting stunned by double digits in game one at home, you knew they were going to come back with a vengeance. They were going to scratch and claw, bring everything they had to make sure they didn't head to the target center without a win, and they certainly did that. A total yep. complete game from top to bottom for the Grizzlies. So, Reggie, with two kind of lopsided games now in the books, the question is, which one is the real Wolves team? (laughs) Is it game one or is it what we saw last night in game two? I think it's somewhere in between the two. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's, – game one was what the Wolves look like when they're playing up to their full potential. Mm -hmm. Uh, Game two is what the Wolves look like when they are kind of feeling themselves a little bit. And it's funny because – if you talk to people who cover the Wolves, they do have a, a issue with overconfidence sometimes. And they they kind of came into Memphis like they were the the team to be, like they were they were those dudes and it's like, look, you can feel like that all you want, but you got to back that up. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. got to come out there and 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 show and prove your mettle game in and game out. Like it's the playoffs. This was decided. Now look, in the playoffs we see different things like I remember watching the finals with the the Warriors and the Cavs back in the day it was just like there were games where the Warriors would blow the Cavs out in the finals then there were games where the Cavs would blow the Warriors out in the finals and it's it's interesting it's just two games and you don't want to draw too much from just two games but at the same time it's just like man that's concerning you saw a lot of things that if you're a Wolves fan you're a little worried about you know like Looking at this stat line, Pat Bev was one for six in 29 oh. minutes. D'Angelo Russell, three for 11 in 28 minutes. You know, like it, it you got Jalen Noel coming off the bench. He was plus seven with six points, but it just didn't really, it didn't really impact the game that much. And it's funny because it's like, you know, you got, you got guys that are, are impacting the game off the bench, like the bench production was fine but mm-hmm. when you're getting outscored by 12 13 14 points by the other bench then it's just like what can you do man I, I just think they need to get back to playing Timberwolves basketball playing to 
to their game and not trying to out Memphis Memphis because like that team is strong. Like like you're not about to you know outdo them at their own game. A big wake up call for sure coming after that game one victory. Things will not be easy. We'll see how the T Wolves respond. I know you already touched on it, so I don't want to double dip too much. But for me, a novice NBA, it was just so interesting. Memphis coach Taylor Jenkins pulled Stephen Adams, like you said, physically imposing big man after just three minutes mm-hmm. and went to his bench and man, did it work. Again, the Grizzlies bench outscored the Wolves 60 to 43, had four bench players put up double digits, including former T-Wolf and Apple Valley native Tyus Jones, who put up 10 of his own. Reggie, explain me to a novice NBA fan compared to yourself. This little trick up the sleeve Jenkins pulled on the Wolves, playing more small ball and better speed and tempo, clearly had a big impact on the Wolves' final outcome and their efficiency. Yeah, you saw Cat have a lot of foul trouble against some of these more mm-hmm. younger athletic bigs. I mean, Steven Adams isn't that old, but mm-hmm. you know, he's he's just not, he's a little bit more of the traditional big as opposed to guys like Tillman and Clark who can who can move a little bit they're a little bit more agile and we've seen that that cat has a little bit of issues sometimes because it's just like no I'm gonna out athletic you right you know and it's just Mm -hmm. like no cat just like you know play your game and it, it was just so interesting seeing seeing that play out like they got killed on the boards right like they got killed on the boards and it was just interesting because it's like look there were guys in in position. There were times where there were two Timberwolves around the basket, and somehow the one Grizzlies player that was there got the rebound over them. And it was just like, come on, man. Like, you, you can't do that. And especially with as many shots as they were missing last night, like second-chance buckets were at a premium, mm-hmm. and they needed to be the ones making them. And it just, it just wasn't happening, man. It, it was kind of tough to, to see that. Even, even when you saw, like, a little glimpse, you know, they would might they might go on a run or or you know, every time they tried to go on a run and tried to make this thing competitive, Memphis always had the answer. And what does that sound like? That sounded like game one right. in reverse. And so it was just interesting to see like the Timberwolves just not be able to keep up. When we talked about it going into that game, they have all the talent in the world to be able to keep up and even overcome the Grizzlies but when they don't play to that 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 ability and that level that's the outcome you see I just want to know do you think that kind of blueprint laid out to stop Carl Anthony Towns that we saw in the play on game against the Clippers had anything to do with uh, what coach Taylor Jenkins uh, the move he did putting the bench guys in the smaller guys and pulled Steven Adams and do you expect them to just now that it worked right copy and paste that I mean should the Wolves and Cat expect that same game plan you think going into game three I think so I mean look if I'm Cat I'm like okay all right, I see what was, what's going on here. I think in game one, he took advantage of, you know, there was some just defense where Steven Adams, it was like, dude, where are you at? Mm-hmm. What's going on? And it, it's just so interesting how they decided to clog up the lanes a little bit more and and challenge Cat to play a different game, and he kind of played into their hands. And I think what is good is now you've got two postseason games on film where – They've clogged the lanes and, you know, Kat talked about being a better passer, passing out of some of these things, not making some of these decisions that kind of gets him and the team into trouble. And that's something that they're going to have to go back on the the drawing board and go back into the the 
the well, if you mm-hmm. will, when they mm-hmm. watch this film and they turn on the tape and they're like, dang, this yeah. is what beat us. That's not like, fun. Th- look, you see it. You've seen it twice now mm-hmm. in the postseason, the play-in and in game two. How are you going to respond? What are you going to do to offset that? Chris Finch appears to be a very, very capable and and smart head coach. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes back to the, the lab, draws up some things, and adjusts for game three. Bottom line, the dust is settled now despite last night. You still got to be awfully happy if you're a Wolves fan. Leaving Memphis with a split, all tied up one game apiece. But it's like we talked about yesterday with momentum. Remember, the Grizzlies had lost two in a row going into last night. The Wolves, on the other hand, had won five of their last seven. But it's just crazy how quickly that momentum can just feel like it's already shifted now Mm -hmm. as they head back to Minnesota to play games three and four in inside the target center for the wolves their first playoff game at home since 2018 and just third series since 2004 target Mm. center will no doubt be rocking providing an electric atmosphere thursday night tip off 6 30 p.m central standard time reggie's gonna be there and you know reggie and i will both be here friday to break down all the action All right, coming up, I'm putting Reggie through the gauntlet with what does it mean. But first, the NFL draft is just eight days away. I'm getting amped because today's guest is one of my all-time favorite draft experts and all-around just great dude. He covers the NFL, NFL draft for Real GM, along with lead editor for the Lions Wire and co-host of the Detroit Lions podcast. Follow him on Twitter, at Jeff Risden. Let's bring him in now, my good friend Jeff. Thanks so much for joining us. How you been, man? It is great to, to see you again, Luke. It's been too long. It's, it's been good too to long. be on your show. Thank, thanks for having me in, man. I appreciate it. Oh, man. I, I, so many of you don't know this. My nickname for Jeff is the godfather of draft because, you <laughs> see, no, listen, when, when I was a young pup starting out, I, when I was a young pup starting out in the draft world, made my very first trip to Mobile, Alabama to cover the Senior Bowl. It was big Jeff here. It took me under his wing. He showed me the ropes. And on top of that, shared just a bevy of draft knowledge that just blew me away. And it was at that point I knew this guy's for real. And for me and my money, he's the godfather the godfather of draft. <laughs> Jeff, maybe you don't remember it that way, but that's my version anyways. I play in my head. So I'm glad you remember it that way. That's right. <laughs> it's something like that. <laughs> all right, let's jump right into it, Jeff. You've been around the block. You've seen many drafts come and go. You've done all the research, watched the tape. When it comes to this year's 2022 class versus maybe years past, what makes this group unique or stand out that you can say is maybe, you know, the identity of this class as a whole? Yeah, there's a couple of things. First off, there's no surefire home run hit at mm-hmm. pretty much any position, which is right. crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I cover the Detroit Lions at number two. Like, we don't know what they're going to do. And I think the uncertainty at the top, we don't know who's going one. We have no idea who's going two, three, four, five. It, it's crazy. The other thing is, and this is an unusual year because of the pandemic and, and so many guys taking an extra year, mm-hmm. there's more overaged prospects this year. So you, mm. you've got a more baseline information on all these guys, which mm. uh, uh, for some teams, um, and, and the Vikings would fall into this, for teams that are age-dependent and age-reliant on their drafting, especially in the first round, which is certainly what what, what you're going to get. Right. They may have to bend some guardrails this year. I know the Cleveland Browns are doing that. They normally would not draft anybody over age 21 in the first round. Well, do they do they adjust to that this year? That's mm. that. And the other thing is, you're seeing a lot more guys who have a lot more experience. Does that make them more NFL ready than in past years? Even even like in the day two and early day three. And I think that's going to happen too. Mm. Jeff, Vikings have new GM. 
new head coach, and a shiny, shiny number 12 overall draft pick. There's been so many people trying to guess at what the Vikings do at 12, and I think it's kind of dependent on who's there. You know, a lot of people are linking Stingley to them, but Stingley may be gone before they pick at 12. What do you feel like is the best and worst case scenario for when they select? You know, I, I think the best case is if Kyle Hamilton falls. Yes. Mm. That's, that's, your, that's your guy. Yes. Okay. No, no question about it. Uh, he's mm. my number one overall player. Love it. And uh, uh, as much as the Lions at two need a safety, I don't think they're taking him. I don't think mm. they're even considering him. Mm. It's plausible that he could fall to 12. It, he's more likely to be there at 12 than Stingley is, quite honestly. Mm. Even wow. though, uh, look, I, I'm not a huge Stingley guy. Um, mm -hmm. the, the list Frank injury, that's that's like repellent, man. Get that, mm. get that away from me. Mm. I don't want anything to do with that. Mm. Uh, it doesn't mean that he would be a bad pick. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that you're taking on some risks there that I'm personally not comfortable with. And not everybody gotcha. is going to see it that way. But he's, you know. I think he's gone. I think he's going to one of the New York teams, and I think uh, I think Sauce Gardner is going to the other New York team. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you got you got four, five, seven, and ten all in New York. Right. I think both of those guys are gone there. So you're looking at well, Hamilton. Hamilton's ideal if mm -hmm. uh, if a guy like Jermaine Johnson falls, like I can mm -hmm. I can be talked into doing that to, to help build up the pass rush depth. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, like there's there's not a lot of bad choices like you're going to get a good player there I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not too worried about what they might be able to find there yeah jeff you know with these first round picks so much pressure on the gms and coaches to hit you can't miss and that's why i'm glad you brought up some of those red flags about Derek stingley that maybe fans should start to consider there with mm -hmm. the 12th overall pick uh we all know the top names you just mentioned a handful of them getting flung out in those top 15 picks but i always love finding the value guys on day two uh, the eric kendricks dalvin cooks daniel hunters Who's some of your favorite second and third round prospects you think could have a great NFL career despite maybe not having that first round buzz? Yeah, a couple guys. I love Roger McCreary, the cornerback from mm. Auburn. I don't yeah. care that his arms are short. I don't care that his hands are tiny. That guy can ball. If you watch the Alabama-Auburn game, he was the best player on the field playing defense. Wow. Mm. Love it. Uh, look, he, he does have some limitations, but, man, I, I really – I'm very bullish on Roger McCreary, and I think he's a guy that's going to go in the 30s, early 40s, and, and I love that. Mm. Uh, go a little bit deeper. I'm a big fan of Luke Gadecki out of Central Michigan. Yeah. Uh, Offensive lineman, he can. I lo I love the path for him. He, he's he's played left tackle. He's played guard. He comes in as your number six lineman as a rookie, and then he plays wherever you need him in twenty twenty three. He can, he can play center and and start it capably at any of those positions. I love that kind of guy. That that's the, that's the sort of guy that I want to build around. He, he's a really really solid player. Uh, I'm also a big fan, and this is going a little bit deeper. Uh, and he's not going to go day two. He should, but he won't. Uh, DeMarco Jackson, linebacker from Appal Appalachian State. Yeah. You watch, you watch their game against Louisiana the second time they played them. Mm. Best, like probably the best linebacker game I saw all season. He doesn't wow. always play to that level, but man, that guy mm. downhill thumper. Um, mm. If you can, if you can get him in the fourth, fifth rounds, like yeah, mm. give me that. Mm. All right, Vikings fans, that that's your your key. Listen in. Yeah. Those guys, maybe maybe some guys that your team targets in day two. All right. So, Jeff, I wanted to do uh, some quick uh, superlatives with you. You ready for this? Yeah, sure. Fire away. All right. Who is the best arm talent in this draft? Ooh, arm. It's got to be Malik Willis. Right. Um, he oh, he yeah. doesn't have touch with it, but he, arm strength and the ability to, to do things that other guys can't do, that's Malik. Yeah, it's kind of like Kaepernick in that way. Uh, yeah, best, very much so. Best route runner. 
Chris Olave. I like I that. Agree. I, I agree. I like that, Jeff. Stepping so, up. I like so that. So I used to cover Ohio State. And yeah. I'm a huge. I know a lot of people have Gary Wilson over Olave, but I think Olave is a stud. Not me, man. man. I'm with you. And, yeah. and as somebody who went to high school in Columbus, I always follow the Buckeyes. So mm-hmm. uh, Northland High School represent. Exactly. There we go. All right. The biggest hitter. The biggest thumper. Ooh, Devin Lloyd's really good. But I'll, I'll go. I'll go a little bit deeper. Malcolm yeah. Rodriguez from Oklahoma State. Ooh. Inside okay. linebacker. He's a day three guy. That yeah. guy demonizes people when he wow. hits them. You know you've been hit by Malcolm Rodriguez. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> I love it when you talk draft to me. Okay. I love it. Best home run threat. Oh, man. If I trusted that Christian Watson could catch the ball, he would Ooh. be it. Yeah. So, okay. But uh, outside of that, man, Jamison Williams um, is – Yep, absolutely. Like, you, you can't go wrong with Jamison Williams there. No doubt. Absolutely. St. Louis, stand up. All right, last one. The biggest Swiss Army knife, the most versatile guy in this draft. Ooh, you know, Gadecki's actually, as an offensive lineman, is one of them. But, like, Traylon Burks, man, he right. can play. He can line up as your your fullback. He can play as an H-back. He, and he can play slot. He can play outside wide receiver. He's he's so good, man. They're, they're, like, I, I know he's not going to fit for everybody. And it's going to yeah. take a creative offensive mind to use him. Mm-hmm. And I really like Traylon Burks a lot. Jeff, I'm so glad you just brought him up here right at the end because after watching what Debo Samuel did in the playoffs, it just mm. seems like for me the blueprint is laid out now. So many of, of these offensive mind coaches around the NFL are going to try to copy and paste that Debo Samuel role, and it just seems like Traylon Burks is the easy kind of simple fit for that oh, if yeah. you're trying to draft one of those guys. And I know he's a guy that's you know projected around the late teens, early 20s, but because of the Debo Samuel hype, I feel like maybe he could end up going a lot earlier than that and surprise some people on draft weekend. All right, one more here, Jeff. Let's sneak in a little bit of Lions, a little bit of NFC North before we get you out of here. Maybe some of your favorite or best Lions picks over the last few years. You know, like a few under-the-radar national guys that Vikings fans can get to know and remember when they're tuning into Vikings-Lions games next year. Yeah, I, I think you all know Amon Ross St. Brown, the sun god, pretty well. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he fits into the Traylon Burks role that we were just talking about. The, the Lions got him some backfield work. Like, that. that's that's the wave. That guy's really good. Mm-hmm. He's going to be good for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they had an undrafted guy last year, Jerry Jacobs, outside cornerback. He unfortunately got injured at the end of the year. He might miss the beginning of the year. This guy is an NFL starter at outside cornerback, and they wow. got him undrafted out of Arkansas, wow. Arkansas and Arkansas State. That guy can really play. He's a good one. He's a keeper. Uh, Aleem McNeil, nose tackle, third rounder last year. Really, really good. He made the all-rookie team. He deserved it. He is He's kind of a, a, an athletic dancer. This guy played center field in baseball for North Carolina State. Wow. wow. Like, was was good enough to get recruited at that, and now he's a, a 325 pound nose tackle. He never lost the agility. I'm I'm a big fan of Aleem McNeil, really really good player. I'm trying to think of like who else. Um, Frank Ragnow. Everybody yep. in Minnesota should know Frank Ragnow. No doubt, no doubt. <laughs> and and uh, we're very excited to have him back uh, after a year off of injury. Uh, you know, under the radar. I'll, I'll no, give you another one. And, yeah, and this is ahead. another undrafted guy who played wound up as tight end two last year and mm-hmm. entering the season. He's still there. Brock Wright out of Notre Dame. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good receiving tight end. Um, kind of limited athletically, but uh, that, that's a guy that, you know, it, it, they just brought him back. The arrow's pointing up for that guy. And uh, you know, that is a certain need. 
Um, I would like to see them get somebody better than Brock Wright, but as of right now, they, they seem pretty comfortable with him uh, him riding in there. So Yeah, a great handful of names there for Vikings fans to remember again, watching and tuning into the NFC North in those Vikings-Lions matchups. All right, last one. I love your mock drafts because it's what you would do, not what you're projecting. So finally, before we get you out of here, you're the GM of the Lions at two. Obviously, it depends who goes one, but what's what's your you, you know a plan A scenario for the second pick for the Detroit Lions next weekend? Aiden Hutchinson, no matter what, no doubt. <laughs> figure it out. On the figure it out. Yeah. Keep him home, out. huh? Keep him home. Hometown boy, yeah, hometown hero. Not? I love it. Jeff, I could literally pick your brain and talk draft and NFC North just about all day. We'll get you out of here. I just want to thank you so much for coming on and make sure everyone listening is following Jeff and all his work on Twitter at Jeff Risden. Jeff, anything coming out leading up to draft week we should keep our eyes peeled for or any special draft coverage next weekend we should tune into? You know, I just got a ton of stuff coming. Um, I do have the what what I would do mock draft. Uh, it should those. be up at Real GM soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I, I do the first three rounds. I'm at pick seventy nine right now, so I'm I'm, I'm getting there, man. Close. <laughs> um, just just a lot of there's a lot of fun stuff. Uh, if you like um, if you like to watch me talk, um, the Detroit Lions podcast. We do it every Wednesday night. We're going live tonight. We will have uh, former Lion great Herman Moore on to help uh, break oh, down wow. the draft. Great guy, um, friend of the show. Um, we have a lot of fun with that, and uh, uh, it's just great. And I, I, I say that uh, I'm coming to you from Kirk, Kirk Cousins' hometown, Holland, Michigan. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we, 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 it's it's difficult to hate Kirk when you're around all the people that love him. <laughs> it's got to be tough. It's got to be tough. Follow <laughs> him on Twitter. So much great stuff from Jeff. Follow him on Twitter again at Jeff Risden. Thanks so much, Jeff. You're the man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, all guys. right. Thanks, all Jeff. Right. Take care, Jeff. Right. Jeff Risden again. At GM on Twitter. So much great work. He does those what would I do mock drafts. Reggie, does Jeff bring the heat or what? What's what's your biggest takeaway after listening to Jeff break all that draft and line stuff? You know, it's so funny. You could tell how locked in a guy is that yeah. he didn't bring up really any of their premium picks when you asked them about uh, when you asked him Jeff. about, yeah, the right. guy, like I thought, you know, him saying that he's a Columbus guy, I thought for sure he might bring up Jeff Okuda. Right. Taylor didn't. Decker, Ohio didn't. State yeah. left tackle. Yeah. I mean, yeah, didn't. easy choices. Yeah. He didn't. So I I, I commend him for, for his knowledge. That dude is locked yeah. in. Yeah. Jeff, again, do you get it? The godfather of draft now? Why <laughs> I, I, do. I pegged him that? Yeah. Uh, Jeff's the man. Maybe we can get him on one more time before draft weekend. Okay. The time has come. My favorite part of the show, I'm putting Reggie on the hot seat, covering all the latest hot topics in Minnesota sports called What Does It Mean? Let's jump right into it. First up, the Twins lost last night to the Royals in their opening game series, 4-3, to three, after Tyler Duffy came in in the sixth inning and allowed the eventual go-ahead runs. Reggie, what does it mean for the Twins' bullpen? If you're the coaching staff trying to just assess what we've seen so far through these first few weeks of the season, where's this panic meter at? I think it's high, man. You, yeah. I think we've seen enough to see the, through the first couple of weeks. Like, yo, they got a bullpen problem. Mm-hmm. And I think what's funny is it's like, man, okay, yeah, you want to just maybe try to ride it out, ride out the wave and, and see what happens. But honestly, I think we've seen enough to see that in high leverage situations, like they just they just can't get it done. And 
it's tough. It's like they have all these championship expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, when the when the bats are, are doing what they're supposed to do, you know, three one lead last night, there was some some issues that mm-hmm. that, that kinda came forth, some bad decisions on base running and, and things like that that maybe could have ballooned the lead a little bit more and gave them a little bit more of a cushion. But it's just like why are you in every game just hoping to establish like a big cushion just in case the bullpen right. doesn't do what they're supposed to to do and I think that's the issue here I think they're gonna have to bring in some reinforcements if they truly believe that they are a contender this year which remains to be seen because they haven't strung along uh, enough games of of wins yet this season you know I understand they're still figuring things out but man when you got these good contributions from the starters as we've seen you can't be winning like every other couple of days. Like you gotta actually like get it done. And last night was such a winnable game against a beatable opponent, and somehow they were they they allowed it to slip it away. through their hands. Yeah, that is frustrating. I saw a lot of people mm. on Twitter just giving them the business for that performance last night. You know, it's one thing if you just got to worry about these relievers and Mm -hmm. and middle-inning guys and bullpen, but when you're still trying to figure out your starting pitching rotation with new guys, Archer, Sonny Gray's got a hammy, from top to bottom, it's almost just too much. Mm -hmm. And I know it's a long, long season. It's a marathon, not a sprint, but um, dealing with both the starting rotation and trying to uh, mask and put a lot of Band-Aids on this relieving situation is almost just too much for this coaching staff to handle. All right. Many fans will tell you the Minnesota Wild have no choice but to retain Kevin Fiala as he's carried the team on his back this last stretch of the season. However, with their current cap situation as it is, what does it mean for the chances the Wild front office can't find a way to get a deal done? Like, What's your percentage chance here that they retain Kevin Fiala on a big, big long-term contract? It's just so funny, man, when they got Marc-Andre Fleury, we were mm-hmm. all talking to Bill Guerin, and we were like, man, all right, now that you got Flower, like, okay, what are we doing for, you know, the next year? He's like, man, can we just enjoy this right now? And it's mm-hmm. it's funny because, like, that's what they need to do. And they also need to maximize this talent because we may be seeing the last of this roster looking like it's looking right now. And it's cool to see contributions from guys like Matt Boldy, 15th goal of the season scored uh, yesterday. Like, it's just like, cool, great. But honestly, trying to keep a guy like Kevin Fiala is going to force them to make a decision with the cap situation. Uh, As much as I hate to say it, like, they're going to have to make a decision between Fiala and Matt Dumba. Do you Mm. want... Do you want Fiala, who's an elite offensive player and who can score you a bunch of goals, or do you want Matt Dumba, who can score goals, but he's an elite defensive player? And also, he's had some injury troubles this year, which causes you a little bit of concern. But the dude is like an ultimate team glue guy. He's a great player to have in the locker room. Ultimate ambassador, you know, all of these different initiatives that the league is doing to push forward diversity efforts, like having a guy like Matt Dumbo on your team is a luxury. But it's like, okay, now you got to choose because it's like, look, the money is not growing on trees. So it's like, okay, do you retain Dumba or do you maybe try to deal him and and make an investment like, okay, we're just going to go all in on scoring as many goals as possible and try to beat teams that way. But it's just like a talent like Fiala, you hate to lose him. 
Reggie, I know you're still kind of settling in in the big picture here in Minnesota, but um, you think the Minnesota Twitter fan base was was a little upset last night after they blew a uh, 3-1 lead to the Royals? If they don't retain Fiala, uh, <laughs> you're going to hear it on Twitter because oh, yeah. uh, those fans will not be happy one bit if they can't retain this guy. He's just well, been such an impact for this team well, down the fans, fans wanted a situation where they could keep both. I know there was a lot of fans right. yesterday they're like, keep both. And it's like, dude, right. I don't think that's possible. So you're going to have to choose one or the other. Yeah, turn the cap off, you know, uh, Matt. Exactly. Just, just turn the injuries off. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> All right, last one. What does it mean with Reggie? Vikings new head coach Kevin O'Connell spoke to the media yesterday about how impressed he's been with Kirk Cousins being a more vocal leader in team meetings and mm-hmm. out on the practice field early on. What does it mean for Kirk's ability to transfer that newfound leadership role over to wins during the regular season? And what does it mean for the new partnership and relationship between the new head coach and the QB? It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It means that we might see a, a new Kirk this season, a different a different Kirk. You know, I think we've gotten a chance to see the gamer Kirk Cousins uh, several times. Last year specifically was that game against uh, Carolina when he walked it off with that incredible touchdown pass to K.J. Osborne in overtime. Like, we need to see more of that guy, not the, not the Kirk Cousins that – you know, uh, drops back on third and 10 and he uh, pushes it out four yards and they have to punt. Like, we can't see any more of that Kirk Cousins. And it's interesting because when I talked to Kevin O'Connell earlier this month, I asked him, I said, look, do you feel like Kirk has another gear to go, another level to reach in your offense? And he said, I do. And he's going to hold Kirk to higher standards than maybe the past coaching staff did. And what's interesting, though, is when I brought up the whole, like, you know, can't go broke making a profit mindset that Mm. Kirk seems to have, Kevin O'Connell mentioned, like, okay, maybe we don't put the offense in those situations. Okay, maybe, you know, if if it's third and and four, and Kirk does make the decision to to do the four-yard, you know, pass, that's Mm. a first down. Mm. And it's like... He wants to put Kirk in a better position to succeed on the field, to extend drives. And I think that's where, like, philosophically, I think we're going to see a different Vikings offense this year. And I'm excited to see what it looks like because last year fans complained, we complained in the media, third and 12, second and 14, all that, like – Kirk is going to, whatever the best read is, he's going to do that. I think what Kevin O'Connell is going to challenge him to do is to be a little bit more aggressive on some of these plays and and push the ball down the field. I mean, he has elite playmakers on the outside. And, and you know, Irv Smith coming back healthy is going to be another addition that should be good for the offense. Like a healthy Dalvin Cook, like he has all the playmakers on the field to – make it second and third and manageable each and every drive. And I think what we're going to see is Kirk maximizing his his ability on these drives with Kevin O'Connell making things a little bit easier for him on the offensive end. 
Yeah, a lot of great points there, Reggie. I think, you know, in the NFL, these players, they get to a certain point in their career, a certain age, especially quarterbacks, right? And, you know, from year to year, physically, they don't get any better. If anything, they deteriorate, right? Like Kirk Cousins' arm isn't going to be better next year. He's not going to be able to throw the ball 10 yards further. He's not going to be faster, but it's the intangibles. That's what can get better and sharper from year to year. The field awareness, digesting Mm -hmm. the playbook, being a vocal leader, right? true captain and I'm just very interested again to see the relationship between this new offensive minded head coach Kevin O'Connell and what he does with Kirk Cousins all right he survived the gauntlet once again join us tomorrow previewing game three playoff game with the Wolves and Memphis Grizzlies back at home at the Target Center tip off 6 30 p.m central standard time and we'll be talking more NFL draft just eight days away remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel and join us every day for another episode covering all the biggest topics in Minnesota sports. He's Reggie Wilson. Follow him on Twitter at Reggie Wilson TV and on Care 11. I'm Luke Inman on Twitter at Luke underscore Spinman. Tune in tomorrow to Superior Sports Talk, part of the Lockdown Sports Minnesota. For Reggie, I'm Luke. Until tomorrow, signing Be blessed. Spread love today. This is Superior Sports Talk with Reggie Wilson and Luke Inman. Part of Locked On Sports Minnesota. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.